to Blacklight Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Blacklight Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Blacklight Mass Incarceration Show. How y'all doing today? What y'all hope everybody feeling good? Been a long weekend for Mr. Khan and Mrs. Khan. But I miss y'all. And today's show is going to be about the system and its corruption. Bad health treatment and legal treatment. How a lot of wardens is really not taking care of their prisoners like they're supposed to, which I don't really want them to really take care of prisoners, but if you're going to be in prison, you must be treated fairly. I don't know if there's any bill updates. Is there any bill updates coming? Any law about to pass for the prison? No, the only any? bill update is that they passed a bill that restricts people's mugshots. Other than that, no, not with this GOP agenda. It ain't. Oh, it ain't none. Well, that's sad, man. They need to help us out. Like, what is the most shot thing going to do for us? I don't understand that part. I don't know. But, uh, anyways, is it, I mean, what is it going to do, though, babe? Like, I mean, it does restrict people's mugshots, you know, because a lot of mugshots are put in in the paper and on the news, and a lot of people are accused of a crime they didn't commit. So, I mean, I can't understand them restricting mug shots. But it still yeah. doesn't help decarcerate North Carolina, which this GOP does not care yeah, about that doesn't. because they are more towards tough on crime and keeping people locked up for the rest of their lives and warehousing people because that's just what America wants to do. They don't want communities. They want to warehouse people. Yeah, they really do. They want to feel bad. You got a lot of wars lying about the numbers that they are having in the institution, saying that they have more staff working when they really don't. They're saying that they have more bed space when they really don't because they're sending them to the holes. Like my situation, I, I recently was in a hole, right? That's why I've been gone. And I had to sit back there because I broke up a fight, you know, just divided two people from killing themselves. And then try to prevent them from going to restricted houses, so I ended up having to pay the penalty as well. But while I was back there, I was seeing how people have finished their time and still got to sit back there until bed space is open. And then you have people coming to prison, filling those beds, and then they, the dudes in the restricted houses, got to wait for more beds to come open. Which is not right. It's like against the policy. It's like violating the Eighth Amendment right there because you depriving inmates, quote unquote, and uh, definitely involves people that's incarcerated. And they, you, you taking their phone calls away, a uh, family can't check on their well being or hear their voice and wreck from outside because you are entitled to wreck outside at least an hour or more a day. So it's like if you finish your time, you should be eligible for your privileges. And your privileges are being restricted because they claim they don't have no 
the bed space. So yeah, like it's really a serious situation going on right now when it comes to North Carolina prisons because everybody's manipulating numbers, especially when it comes to Raleigh and then now they want to switch their name and DAC to the Department of for adults and it ain't it ain't really helping like well, I just want to go back. Start making adjustments. I want to go back to the, the point of you getting charged for a charge that you didn't actually commit. And I understand that, you know, they don't feel like you should have been breaking up a fight. But my thing is you have to live there. You have to live in those confinements. And if you feel like breaking up a fight to stop people from going to the hole because you have to live there and you want your dorm to be as calm as possible. I'm not understanding why they charge you with the fight because we know when they come in there, of course, they're going to come in there with a bunch of them and they're going to be pepper spraying and beating and all types of other things instead of just simply breaking up a fight like you did. But you had to suffer the consequences for breaking up a fight somewhere that you live every day that you're trying to keep calm and trying to keep people from going to the hole, but then yet still you were still punished which makes no sense. And there's plenty of people that are in the hole yeah. being punished for things yeah. that they did not do. Well, yeah, they, yeah, I 100% agree because I was sitting in the hole. Definitely a lot of people is back there for nothing. Like, they back there because they don't have bad things. Like, literally, you got people coming in from other camps that supposed to be having beds in general population, but being that they don't, they have to sit back in the hole. Like, you coming straight to the hole and not even smelling general population. So, like, yeah, like, the treatment is getting serious and it's cruel and unusual punishment. That's cruel and unusual punishment. I don't think that nobody deserves to go to the hole when they didn't even break a rule at all. They're going to the hole because the prison system doesn't have their stuff together. So it's like that, and at the end of the day, like people are lying about these numbers. These warriors, man, these warriors, these superintendents, they're lying about these numbers. And I don't think there's enough uh, officials from Raleigh come down and making a difference. Because I'm just like, I, I don't seen a couple of Raleigh Secretary of State, you know, come down here and look. And, you know, he's like, hey, hey, y'all need to put air conditions in here. I want them done by the end of December 31st. You ship out two dorms, and then you leave one dorm, and then you're still messing up numbers. You're still lying about how many staff is here. You know, even 40 staff members try to come back, and he turns around because you don't like their demeanor, or you don't like how they feel about how you're running your prison making it harder on them and stuff like that. So, I mean, who is you to tell a person that they can't work at a a government job that they're entitled to and you need the help? You know, that's like saying, I don't care about the people at my prison or the injustice involved folks. Like, yeah, I don't make it even worse. So, yeah, you're right. It's a lot of suffering that's going on that doesn't need to be going on. And I feel like that these lawmakers' legislation is not doing their job as Republican or Democrat 
I don't think they really see what they are supposed to be doing. I think they're selfish. They only want to do what they want to do and keep that lineage pure on their hand and don't care about anybody that's below or outside of it. So I don't I don't think that it's for the people at all. I don't think they really care about the people at all. Really but the question is, when have they ever cared about the people? I don't think they ever have since George Washington. <laughs> right. Uh, they yeah, believe. I don't, I don't think they ever have. They believe putting people in prison for these long, unjust sentences makes the community safe when it has never made the community safe. Now we don't even have communities because so many communities are warehoused inside of prisons. And to me, it just seems like they want a community that's full of rich people. They don't want any regular living human beings in their community because they're starting to warehouse them all from women to children to men. Like, it's just Yeah, like, what do they do to America. That's like, what they do to Yeah, that's what they do here in America. And I'm just trying to figure out you build America off of imprisoning people. Before you made prisons, you made the slave trade, and you built the whole legal system off of that. Because it was no police force. You started a police force off of chasing slaves, runaway slaves at that. Chasing black people who wanted to be treated fairly because they were being treated like they were nothing because of the color of their skin. And white people... Thought that they were entitled, that they were better than everybody, which makes no sense to me. But um, yeah, that's that's how slave well, patrols became. Back then, yeah, they wanted to be superior. No disrespect to anybody that is white, but you have Caucasian people that's really understanding the situation and they be wanting to help. But then you have the forefathers that didn't care at all, and I don't have any love for those biased thinkers. So, you know, more power to the people that's involved today and that sees correctly what's going on and wants to help. More power to you. Um, all these other nonprofits, man, bring awareness to the situation of mass incarceration. Truly reach out, you know, the information and come through. That was like a better movement because it really needs to be have, have a better movement. I know our guest speaker that has an interview. I know he talks about his kids for autism. We want to bring awareness to autism because that's a, a least amount of education that's being brought to them because they ain't really getting no education. They always be limited to the things they can do because they don't want to put more money into getting more education for autism. So I want to bring awareness to that. So anybody's going through that, please reach out to us. Tell us about it. Send us an email. We definitely are going to reach back out to you. Especially if you have somebody and, incarcerated uh, with autism, because we want to get their stories out. Because yeah. autism does not belong in any type of interrogation room, prison, jail, none yeah. of that. As a mother yeah. with two autistic kids and exactly. a brother and two nephews with autism, fight hard for that because I don't want them to have to experience that. Right. So yeah, we any nonprofits is dealing with. Autism, et cetera, please reach out because we would love to commute with you, tag team with you to make a better program and expand. Also, post conviction nonprofits that is trying to make a better justice pathway for people to get 
in effect a cancel strike because it's really poor down here in North Carolina and is not acknowledging post conviction. Especially with people with ineffective assistance to cancel. There's a lot of people with that, and that seems to be ignored here. Right. I'm, I'm one of them. I'm trying to get it done, man. I'm trying to get my ineffective cancel on D right now, man, at the present moment, man, because right now, I'm, that's my whole pathway. I got to prove this because my lawyer did me dirty and just sold me out, man. It's just because of a vendetta. I guess my criminal history and, and please understand that there are people out there who have vendettas against people because they get this biased thought and that's all they think about is this person is bad and not other thoughts of well maybe they got caught up right that's a fact I just don't understand how people do stuff like that like, I think it's like they brainwash it's like the cops and everybody it's like they brainwash like they really have hatred, man. They do. We are we real live on the phone right now. <laughs> Incarcerated. I am. <laughs> I'm finna call you back. I'm gonna call y'all people back so I can talk to you. <laughs> All right, we'll be waiting. All right, we're back. Yeah, we are back and. Live on the prison phone, telling y'all what's going on for real. <laughs> and, on uh, <laughs> live on the prison phone, like this is real live. This is not no uncut video or nothing like this. This is all real live right here. And I just, it's not too long ago, I've, I've been seeing too many Alabama prisoners, like, still dying to, with few guards. And many of them are corrupted. And I just like this. This was at Donaldson Correctional Facility. So it's just like they, <laughs> like they abusing the inmates. Like oh, they beat them down. Like Alabama, if we think North like, Carolina is bad, Alabama is still on that cotton picking. Like literally have them in the field picking cotton, beating them down. Like yeah, it's been a lot of reports about Donaldson. Just the fact that they have so many incarcerated people dying from the staff. And on top of, they keep denying people for parole. Like, I wish we had parole here. I mean, we had parole if you committed a crime before 94, but if you didn't after that, you just SOL. But it's over for you. They keep denying. Like, I just seen a report on Twitter yesterday where a 70-year-old man who's already completed, like, 50-some years went up for parole, and they told him no. Like, how much more time? Do you need, I don't understand why prisons are starting to become nursing homes and daycares. Like, I don't understand mental health hospitals. All this in one facility for what? And then they're creating the mental, the mental, like they're creating people's mental conditions. Worse. Like, it's crazy. Like, man, by me experiencing prison period, like, I'm, Looking at failure to protect, basically, they it's, it's going on in Arizona. Prisoners are getting beat by gangs. Like they just, it's, I don't see anywhere they doing to recondition people's thinking. And it's a lot of people in here that I'm with. Like right now, I can go get like ten people right now to come right here and tell you how their thinking has changed on their own because they do fellowship in the block with other 
inmates. Like, they have to find a way to do it, but the thing is that they want to. It ain't like that they're not trying to or they don't want to be this animalistic guy that the media and the press want to put, but people doing time, 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years, they know we're thinking the same way. But if you sit there and keep a guy in the cage, eventually he's going to turn into an animal or he's going to be mentally distraught. He's going to want to kill himself because he can't take it. Or if this or the survivors really gonna have mental damage and be institutionalized by always wanting to be shielded from social places and stuff like that, like they aren't understanding like prison is really not helping our soul. The ones that are helping is the ones that are just strong enough to have that willpower, but everybody doesn't have that. You still People need assistance to get that driving force in them. Some people don't. Some people go straightly to religion. Some people need other assistance to put their artistic skills together. There's fine hours, but at the end of the day, they need to be the whole prison system. If it's going to be a prison system, then it needs to be a reconstructed prison system because the old one is not helping anybody. No. And they're talking about recidivism. This is why. They're going out and they don't know what to do because they've been locked up for 30, 20 years. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to socialize with nobody. They don't know how to deal with situations with people because they have been restricted from them. Like, straight up. Like, you got to have more programs in here for retreatment. And then you got to have mental programs in here for reconditioning. Of thinking, mm-hmm. and then from there you start working on getting them back out there. That's why that's what they help a lot of these guys in recondition. It's some, it's some places in Missouri, Arizona, Warriors are starting to take their own money and starting recondition the prison system. And now they got twenty cent, twenty percent recidivism rate. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's like a power move right there. That lets you know that they're going out there really helping industry. You don't need a prison to keep industry going. You just make that a job for the working people, the working class. You know what I'm saying? If y'all if y'all going to make if y'all going to take second class out and just keep poor and and rich, well then y'all just need to make the industrial system for the poor people out there trying to make a living. It's just simple as that. You need to get those get those people their jobs right there. Making sign plants and all that stuff, like that's where the jobs need to go. And y'all still to make y'all bread, even though I don't agree with it, but they're still gonna make the money. It's, they, they won't for the state. It's still gonna be made. You know, y'all won't let y'all don't want to pay nobody. Y'all won't treat cheap labor like they did slaves for picking potatoes and, and, and corn and cotton and stuff. Come on, tobacco like and paying somebody twenty five cents a day. I mean, to me, that just speaks on America's laziness. Like, they always want to say that people of color were lazy, but how are we lazy when we were forced to, like, build the United States because the other we people were didn't like, want to? fantastic. <laughs> what do you mean? We, there's no way we was poor. Or we lazy? Was, like, fantastic. No way we was lazy. Ain't yeah, no way. Or nowhere near lazy because we're getting our, our butt <laughs> whooped for, for 
working. Like, we on the field working. You whooping my tail because I've talked back to you because I'm tired of you over here breathing on my neck. Working, taking care of the house, day, like, doing all of that. Building. Yeah. What do you mean? We we catering to y'all. We doing y'all work that y'all can't do. You know, at the end of the day. Like, we figuring the concepts out. That means our bonds are extraordinary, creative. So we know how to work, period. We know how to create. We know how to build. We know how to design. And then every time we had something of our own, like all the Black Wall Streets, what happened? They got jealous and bombed them and burnt them down and took all the factory work away so black people couldn't work. Like They got mad that we were still able to survive and do things without them and always tried to find a way to take us out. Like, I don't get it. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I get it. I see what's going on. I mean, I guess I don't it's get it because I don't understand why nobody would want somebody else to win based on a color. Based on a color. Like, what would it be if we all were the same color? You see what I'm saying? Like, they, don't want, they, the, they always wanted to say superior. Like, they don't want to be secondary or equal. They wanted to be head. You know what I'm saying? You got to think about men. You got to think about the human kingdom period from coloration getting lighter all the way from a million years plus all the way to now. So you got a people that's been mellow, they tone being dark skinned all the way to now, 50 million years later. And we got all the artifacts ever on the earth from plants, medicine, agriculture to civilization. We are the key principles and hold on. So, like, they want to be better than that. They want to be known for that. They want to take the history, distort it, and put it their way. But you can't. History don't lie. can't get around it. We've been here forever. It's always going to be... We're going to pop up regardless. It's just there. They tried to erase it, but they couldn't erase all that stuff. They just can't do it possible. They do it. We even biased. We talking about the system of the forefathers here that designed America. The legal system. Like they was biased. They was biased. Yeah. It was built off of this stuff. It was built off of racism. This whole legal system was built off of racism. And I'm mad at the people that's still running it going off of it. Like this is a new age now. It's time for you to change your thinking. Come up with new, way better strategies so everybody can eat, man. Straight up. Well, so that you are actually housing people who actually can't live among society, but you're not over warehousing people who had nothing to do with nothing. With the money. Right. That you send in across to a whole other country. Right. Yeah. You ain't even putting your own money back into your own country. No, you over there funding other it. stuff at, in other countries that got yeah. nothing to do with us. Nothing. I ain't even going to lie. I, I think that's the only word that I agree with Trump. is <laughs> to bring the American jobs back over here. I think that's about... Well, yeah, that is what I agree with Trump because he basically said that all the other countries need to handle their own business and we shouldn't be sticking our nose in other countries' businesses. We shouldn't. Nobody's yeah, going to come to America's... Aid and rescue when something happened? 
Nah, they're going to demand money, and if we don't give it to them, they're going to bomb us like they've been doing. That's what they've been doing forever. We got 9-11 now. That's why we got 9-11 today. Because they, you know, they weren't trying to hear nothing when they felt like Bush was breaking the contract. Allies. Oil. And that's crazy. He got an oil. He he owned, his family owned a whole oil. They got their own, they own oil. And they going over there messing with the people's oil. That's why they was beefing. Like, well, you he coming over that. here messing with our oil. Y'all got your own oil, which I don't know why America doesn't have their, like, why they buy oil from different countries. When you have yeah, I'm your mad own at Bush oil rig here, like I don't, I don't get it, but okay. Yeah. What are you going to Arabia for to get their oil? Why are you bothering those people? They don't even make sense at all. They caused that to happen to the American people. They should be ashamed of it. Because they always want to feel superior. They did that. That's why. That's, uh, that's crazy right there. But I encourage people to bring awareness to a better justice system. And I encourage all these legal assistants and stuff like that to start stepping their game up, especially with these public defenders, man. If y'all gonna, y'all gonna be public defenders, at least do the right thing. I, well, you know, I'm not gonna say they're not doing the right thing because I couldn't imagine being a public defender and you telling me I got 200 murder cases on top of you're not paying me a lot of money, on top of you're not, a lot of them don't even give the funds for them to go and really investigate the person's case. That's why when you have the little balance beam that they have, it's so unbalanced because prosecution is always overfunded and they can always go and have whatever tested, always go and have whatever expert. But when it comes to the defense, it's something different. Like they got to ask and then, you know, sometimes they might get turned down. And so it's, it's it's hard. Like they really don't have enough. I couldn't imagine having 200 murder cases myself or even 30 murder cases myself because that, that is a lot. That's why you need a whole, a whole, that's why it needs to be more holistic, where you have a whole working team, and it's not just up the attorney and the private investigator to handle a person's case, especially when you have complicated murder cases like yours. It's different. You need a whole team. That's why I encourage all these public defenders to put your foot down. I mean, that's why, this is what I'm really saying, like, put your foot down, like, stop working. I just think they, they need, need to be in the more media than more. You need, them. you need to be in the media more. Like you saw all the prosecutors in the media about, you know, especially when they're about to be reelected of talking but about this and that. I think they need to that. stand up, though. They do. I need to think they need to protest. Like, stop working. Like, yo, you need me more than I need you. But if you stop working, who's going to defend the people of the public who can't pay for an attorney? That means okay, they're just so going to be left up to... They need to give them more, give them more money. They need to protest for more money to get the cases done. It needs to be everybody. It needs to be the community as well because the public defenders represent the community. So not only do public defenders, but the community also call legislators and tell them to fund public defenders. It's got to be a whole working part. We all have to stand together and stop working in silos. It's not just up to the public defenders. It's up to the community as well because they represent us when we get in trouble. So it's up to us, too, to put the the gas on them. Yeah, but it's still up to them, too, yeah, but I mean, they can say something, but if they don't have nobody behind them, that's going to be done. We got to get behind them because they're the ones representing us. Y'all have to do it. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but baby, we've been protesting forever. No, but we have not been protesting for public defenders to be funded because a lot of Americans don't even know 
where their where their money is going to. Like if you don't keep up with your budget and go to these county commissions and city council meetings, you don't know what they're doing with your money. And public defenders' money comes from taxpayer dollars. I mean, I'm one of them. I didn't get into no budget. Like that's stuff you don't get into when you're not involved. You just think that you know, your elected officials are going to do what they're supposed to with the money, but as we see, they don't. So that's why it's important for us to know where the money's going to. That way we can say, hey, I don't want my 40000 or $50,000 to go towards a parking deck in downtown Greensboro, but I want it to go towards a public defender's office. If you don't say anything and you don't know where your money's going, they're going to do whatever, which that's what they've been doing because we we expect our elected officials to do right, and they don't do right. So therefore, now we have to start paying attention and letting them know, look, we know what you're doing with our money, and this is where we want our tax dollars to go. Because this is your tax dollars that they use every time they tax you for something to do whatever they want with it and not put it back into the community. So it also is up to the community to start being more in tune with your tax dollars and where it's going and how they're spending it, and you can demand them to spend it where it needs to go. No, people are not educated about that, babe. They're not. <laughs> They're not. They just... No, nah, I, nah, I, I definitely didn't say that. I didn't well, say the people wasn't. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's the only way to get your public they defender's got a big office. They this, too. They do. They, they absolutely do, but they can only yeah, they do got so a much. Real big part in this. I ain't saying... I'm not excluding the community. I would never, ever exclude the community because they don't know. Because if they did know, they would have been doing it by now. But the people that do know, like these public defenders, they know this. They keep quiet about it. But what can you do when you're asking for money like now? They're asking for money, and North Carolina just sat there and said that they're not going to, they're not going to put no more money in the public defenders' offices. So that means it's up to the community to push them to do it. Like, yeah, you know when they say that they should have stopped working. But you can't stop working because if you stop working, who is going to defend the people now that's currently in jail? That means they're just going to be sitting there with no representation. You can't stop working because somebody to represent these people. Who's going to be forced? They're not. They will be forced to do something. You can't. You can't be forced to represent somebody if you're not getting paid. Now you wasn't. If just put your put your shoes, put yourself in attorney's shoes because you got to keep the lights on. The courts are gonna. They're not gonna force the courts, that. They they're, to, they're not they gonna force that to because they don't even want people to get out now. They don't care. They wouldn't. They can't just leave them in there to die. They can't leave them in there just sitting in there to leave them to yes, die they with can. no representation. Yes, they can. They're it's, gonna have to. They're gonna babe. have to. They're going to have to do something. Well, listen, there's one guy in Atlanta that has been in jail for 10 years that has not been to trial, does not have representation. So, yes, they can. You can't. Yes, they can. They don't care. That's the thing. You got to understand, they do not care. That is why they had a law, the Gideon's Law, that you have right to representation. Everybody should have a right to representation. That shouldn't be a law. That's what I'm saying. They don't care because they don't care about people's lives. Talk about what I ain't never seen that in North Carolina, but you, I'm just—I mean, I understand what you're saying. There's some people in North Carolina who don't yeah. even have an indictment that's still in prison because somebody wrote me not too long ago saying they wanted me to help them because they don't even have an indictment, but they're in prison. Yeah, it happens. It's just quiet here, like yeah, everything I mean, else, but it I mean, happens. I've been saying the county. I've been saying the county for like three years, three and a half years. I mean, I understand. No, there's people in prison. In our county, was five. There's five people in prison without county. an indictment. Yeah, but they charged with something. No, they pleaded guilty to something. There's one person who did, didn't plead guilty to anything. He sent me his paperwork. Like, he's literally in there with no indictment. 
Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, right. it's, it's crazy. How you get sent to prison with no conviction? Because if you have a murder case, just like you said, they gave you the option to go to prison before you even was convicted. It's yeah, the, the same wait thing. till I go to trial, like, yeah, that's different. That's a whole different perspective, but I'm talking about a person I'm, with a felony firearm or felon or something like because that. Because people fall through the cracks. Kind of prison. There's plenty of people that's been sitting in jail five or six or seven years ain't been seen yet. Especially in your rural yeah, county. Yeah, I can say that the longest person in any different county was six years. Yeah, in your rural county. But think about it. In your rural counties, they don't even have public defender's offices, honey. You have to be contracted by a lawyer, and a contract lawyer is not going to come see you if you're indigenous. They're going to take care of their clients that are paying them money. Not all counties in North Carolina have public defender's offices. Some don't have none at all. Like Wilson don't have one at all. So you have to wait on a... That's some Andy Griffin stuff, then. Now, that's Andy Griffin stuff. The ones that ain't got no lawyers, that's some Andy Griffin stuff. It, <laughs> that's some real live racist stuff going on down there. That's hate town. You got no lawyers? You know that's some hate town stuff. You know that's some Andy Griffin stuff right there. Yeah. We might as well go to Mount Airy. <laughs> this really, oh, my bad, Mount Airy is really where they shot Andy Griffin at. But anyway... We've been going on for a minute. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this next interview coming up. Like I said, always stay vigilant. Um, we have to stand up and keep fighting. We have to fight even harder because, as we see, this GOP landscape seems like they're trying to um, control every aspect of humanity, and we have to let them know that we won't stand for that. But these are also people that that were elected by people in North Carolina. So... You also have to remember a lot of these were here because these people were elected by y'all. <laughs> so now it's time to do better by elections and making sure that we're not letting people get in that's going to try to run every aspect of our lives and humanity. Till next time. Till next time, Black Light fam. Thank you for your support. Thank you for everybody around the world, in state, out of state, in country, out of country. Singapore, you have been a big listener. Thank you. Um, just keep supporting. We would love to hear from you guys, love to hear your ideas, and maybe we could organize together to make a better community for all. Right. Stay in touch with me and Blacklight and the family here, and uh, we'll see you next time. And I'll remember, if you know anybody that's willing to help with any legal aspects, please send them our way. There's not only us, but plenty of people needing legal help who can't find it here. Till next time, Black Light. We love y'all. Peace and love. Have a good one. How you doing, Black Light listeners? This is Jeffrey Cobb on the Black Light Master Cross-Generation Show. This is a body fact. Did you know it is impossible to use all of your brain all the time. Different areas of the brain help us do different things. So the left hemisphere helps us with audio and the right hemisphere helps us with visual. Together, they help you hear individual words, which is your left brain, and then the whole sentence is put together by your right brain. So together, they make a complete sentence. That is your body fat for the day. Please tell us your name. My name is Akiba Adams. 
Hey, Akiba, thank you for being on the show. So today we're just going to kind of run through some basics of, you know, your childhood and, you know, why you are where you are today and how you think you can change, make a change in your community. So first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yeah. your childhood of, you know, just how you was kind of raised. Well, I'm the, um, uh, it's, it was seven of us, you know, two, two females and five boys, you know, uh, I had three younger ones, three older ones. So I always looked at it also as the black sheep of the family, you know, in, in the household. In the beginning, things was good. You know, my father was able to provide for us and stuff like that. But once, once he started to, uh, use drugs, put the needle on his arm, continue, continue to drink, then he was no longer able to help my mother. My mother, she had to take care of everything on her own, and one person can't do it. You know, one person is not going to be able to provide for everybody. You know, so uh, we was able to. We was we had to go to school with holes in your sneakers. Uh, we had to share each other clothes and stuff like that. You know, and once I got a little older, what I started doing is. You know, my cousin then was already out there on the corner selling drugs. So, you know, I just started selling drugs with them, you know, able to make uh, money to buy the things that I felt I needed, you know. And I, I felt I felt kind of good doing that, you know. Um, in, in the household also, it was it was abusive, you know. Uh, my, my father, he beat on my mother, you know. Uh, he beat on us. So I understand that you have to discipline your children, you know, right. but my father, he took it, he, took, he went overboard with, with certain incidents, you know, because I, re I remember one time him hitting me over the head with a two by four, but at the time, I, I, I knew that mentally something was wrong, but once I got older, a whole lot older, looking back on the situation, I knew that it was a concussion by him uh, hitting me over the head with a two by four, and that, that's abusive, you don't do things like that. To, to children, you know. Yeah. So let me ask you this: Can you explain to us how did yeah. that make you feel? You know, seeing your dad do drugs and seeing him put his hands not only on y'all but your mother—how did that make you feel? Did he did he stay in the house the whole time, or did he leave eventually? Nah, he stayed. He stayed in the, in the same household. My mother believed that uh, raising your children uh, with two parents in the household, mother and father. And, you know, um, I, I, I disliked it, you know. I hated the fact that he would hit on my mother and I was too young to do anything about it. And I always told myself, you know, um, I can't wait till I get older. And at times, I used to say, not knowing, you know, that it was messed up, but I used to say, why don't you just die, you know. And these are days that I would say as a kid, not fully understanding that you, the, the effects of some birds or, or some book. But the only thing I wanted was to beat you and things like that to stop. You know, right. and when the time did come, when he did pass away, and I was older, I regret saying them things. You know, I, I felt really bad. You know, but as a kid, you just want certain things to stop, and, and that was that. You right. know, and I couldn't wait till I get a little older. You know, because I knew that all all the things that how he treated my mother, how he beat on her, and how he treated us, it, it's gonna come a point in time where it, all that's gonna stop. You know, right. so did that stop as you got older? Did it stop when you left the house, or no? It, it stopped because it got older. You know, probably like 15. You know, I remember an incident. See, he really didn't know I was selling drugs and stuff like that, but he knew I was doing something. Mm -hmm. You know, 
and uh, I would come in the house with clothes, new clothes and stuff like that. And it's like, where you get that from? I was like, oh, my friend let me wear his stuff, you know, but it was good. I used the money that I had to buy clothes and stuff like that. So he would get mad, and, and I remember one particular time, he tried to put his hands on me, you know, and I was like, try it if you want to. I think I was like 14 or 15, and he wanted to, but he, I guess I told him, don't do it. And he just told me to get out. So I didn't mind because, you know, it gives me more time to be in the street to continue to do some of the things that I was doing, you know? So do you think by him pushing you out in the street that early is what led you to incarceration? Is that why you actually started selling drugs was to kind of fill in the gap for your mom to help her out financially? Yeah, and, and to help myself out too, you know, because I always able to get the latest stuff and, and things like that, you know, and then my brothers and them followed suit and started doing the same thing. I didn't want them to, but they ended up doing saying what I, I was getting, so they started to do the same thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, because that's what they saw, you know, that's what you tend to follow is what you see. So what led you to incarceration? Well, selling drugs, stuff like that, get caught with, with some of the work on me, you know, uh, go back and forth to uh, jail, but in the beginning, you know, you ain't got, I ain't got no record, so ain't much enough is going to happen, you know, right. uh, being there for a few days or whatever the case is, and then come back out, but as it goes on and on and on, you keep going back, like for instance, you know, I, we, in New Jersey, we, have, we used to have to go to New York to be up, and I, I remember one time I went to New York to be up, I got caught over there in a different state. So I ended up having to do 10 years over there. So I took something to trial. I lost, got 10 years, you know. Uh, another time, that's why I say I'm like the black sheep of the family. Because another time, I went to trial in New Jersey. I got caught with a gun for somebody telling and went to court, went to trial, and got 10 more years with that. So I was just like, damn, I just can't get right. Every time I turn around, something is happening, you know. And what do you think led to that? Was it the lack of leadership or a role model or what? Uh, it actually, it all came from me wanting to be a part of some of the things that I see and, and not able to get the things that I felt that my parents should have provided for me. More so my father because my mother, she did more than her half, but it ain't much that one person can do. can't do but so much. Right. So, you know, it was like my father you know, him not being able to provide for us like how he's supposed to because nobody wants to go to school with holes in their sneakers, the same pants or every other day, something like that. It was, it was times where I had to sew the holes up in my sneakers with the thread and needles, and then I would get it. Like I said, if the sneakers was black in it, and the thread I used was red, I would get a uh, a black marker or something and color the red, the, uh, the red thread black, you know, and hoping nobody don't see what I had did, you know. So uh, that's why I, I, I turned to the streets and, and started started selling drugs. And I don't feel as though that young children should have to, you know, worry about stuff like that provided for them because, because if the parents do what they're they supposed to do, then that's one less thing that a child has to go out there and focus on, you know, so he can stay in school and focus on his grades and stuff like that, you know. Nobody wants to go to school looking raggedy. So, no, and, I don't like, know if you know the father, answer. 
Okay. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but what uh, would you? What do you think? Like, do you think different provided programs could help struggling parents who can't provide for their children, or what do you think would help with situations like that, like the situation you were in, without them having to go and sell drugs and and be in the streets? If they if they're not able to provide, then I, I think that it should be some sort of programs out there that able to help children, you know, because I I say, I say now, looking back on it, I'm like, damn, if I knew what I knew now, I would have stayed in school. I'll be patient, you know, go to school with some holy sneakers and things like that, you know, and stay in school and play football and you know, things would have been a whole lot different. But I, I didn't want to it's just some children don't want to do that. And that's one of the things that I say to myself, and I have children now, so I provide for my children because that's one less thing that I want you to focus on in school. I'll provide the things that you need, but ain't nothing free in this world. So you have to do little things around the house or whatever, and I'll make sure you get what you're supposed to do. Right. So what led you to North Carolina? You said you were incarcerated in New York and New Jersey, but what led you here? Yeah. My wife, well, we wasn't married at the time, you know, a female that I have real strong feelings for, she had moved down to uh, North Carolina because she had a son down here, and he wanted her to move down here. So she talked me into moving down here. In the beginning, it was, it was all right, because sometimes you leave the um, new places, people, and things. You know, and things started working out a little uh, And, you know, I realized the cost of living was cheap down here, so I, I was with it. But somewhere along the line, you know, Started getting uh, meeting people, stuff like that, and then end up coming to jail, you know. Right. And I end up getting married down here. I got two kids down here. I have a son and a daughter. Right. So from the time that you did in New York and New Jersey, and the time that you're currently doing here in North Carolina, is there a difference? Yeah, it's a big difference. Can you elaborate you know, on that? Um, all, all the way around the board. Oh man, um, and, and New Jersey, you know, it, it's wild. Like, uh, you got some polices, they racist and stuff like that. You know, you got a bunch of gangs and stuff like that. But in New York, now New York is is completely different because, like, when it comes to like the gangs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's at an all time high, and you know, they take it a lot a lot more serious than other states that I've been in. You know, they like to slice your face and stuff like that. It, it, it's like they color banging and stuff like that, you know. And it, it's, it's a lot different than down here. Like what I see down here when it when it comes to uh, gang banging and stuff like that, you know, everybody is, is like friendly and stuff like that, you know. And a bunch that goes on from what I see. It, it, I see it's a lot of, a lot of things down here. That would never would never take place up north in New York and stuff like that. And you have racist CEOs up up upstate in New York. They are real racist. They ain't got like for instance, I was at this one jail in Franklin and, and Franklin. They look racist. They like to slap on people and stuff like that. And one particular time, you know, I had I had a situation and they, they said they were take, taking me to lockup. At the end of the day, I had like Eight to ten white officers they had me in a circle, and they kept calling me nigger. They were like, "What you want to do, man? You fucking nigger, fucking nigger. Look at the nigger, stuff like that." 
you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was a, that was a real mess experience, something that I went through down here. It, it's just it, a lot of things that you see. It wouldn't take place up here, you know. But New York is the worst. Uh, then you have Jersey, then you have North Carolina. The things that I see, you know, it's like when in the court system, they give you a lot of time for some nonsense charge opposed to up north, they work with you, you know, but down here, you got, you got people that got years there for nonsense, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I believe it. And I see it, I see that, you know, I see the movement different, you know, from what New York moves towards and what we move towards. Um, and they've got a lot of and, um, post-incarceration and, that they're trying to do. Yeah, and I, from what I see in New York, New York, I one of the things I say is a good thing about New York is because, like, it, it, it's up there when it comes to court and stuff like that, you know, they just want the conviction. So they don't have no problem with running everything concurrent and stuff like that and giving you little to no time, you know, opposed to down here. Like, for instance, the, the, where I got locked up at in Yakutville County, it's a small little white town, and you they lock you up for any little thing. And down here, they're trying to give you a lot of time for something that's real small. You know, like mm-hmm. up north, they, like when it comes to indictment, they got seven days in New York. You got you to gotta indict, indict them, the person with their seven business days. Or if they don't, then they cut you loose. In New Jersey, they got six months to indict you. If That's 180 days. If they don't, then they got to cut you loose. Well, down here, they tell me, in court, I'm like, well, all right, I've been fighting this case for over a year, and now you're telling me you're about to indict me. So how, how, how is it possible that you're about to indict me? Um, don't, ain't it a time frame? So they tell me, no, the law down here is so backed up that they, they can indict you whenever they want, you know? And they just, they just, I, and that's when I found out about box carting down here, too. I'm like, what the heck is box carting? So they tell me consecutive, and that's one of the things that they love doing down here is giving out consecutive time, a lot of time for for little petty cases and other things that they would go out. And that's that's how I'm, I'm locked up now. Like, um, I told you I went to trial before two times. Mm-hmm. I'm a lot older now, but I did that when I was young. I lost. I'm old for two. So the things that I got locked up for now, I was making bail, but they, it ended up being a few of them. So, you know, now I'm like, forget it. I can't take this to trial because... I already lost two times already. I can't afford to keep losing trial. So I copped out, and then it gets over on me, and I end up getting, getting time. And that, that's where I'm at right now. So, so you know, uh, right. they get over on you down here in, in, in North Carolina in court. Yeah, so, they do. <laughs> they the really, really do. Messed up. The court system is messed up. Everything's backed up down here, you know, compared to other states. Right. Tell us, you know, what you are doing to be a better person, and how you think that you can help your community stay away from incarceration? Now, now you know, it, 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 it's like, you know, I always wanted, like, I did so much bad. I, well, I feel like I did a lot of bad in my life that I want to do good now. And, you know, one of the things that I, I want to do is when, when it comes to autism. And I had told my wife uh, last year, because I, I've been locked up since August of last year, but I knew I had a few cases open. And I'm like, yo, look, after, after I get these cases over and done with, I want to start something surrounding autism. You 
know, like a nonprofit organization. And it would have been bad for me to start uh, trying to be a part of something at that time because I knew that I had to go away. But now all my cases is just about to be over with. So now I want to focus on that. And why I say that is because my son, he's autistic, you know. Right. And in the beginning stages, my, my wife, she would take him to the doctor when he was like a few months old, you know. She would take him to the doctor and tell the doctor, hey, look, something is wrong. He should be saying, like, little baby words and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know. And the doctor would be like, nah, he's all right. He's all, he's all right. He's all right. And I mean, I'm, I'm thinking he's all right. I'm like, nah, he's all right. You know, he's just doing little baby things and stuff. Like, like some of the things she would do would be kind of off. So she would take him back and forth to the doctor. The doctor would say the same thing, you know. So now he ends up turning, going on, going on three, not speaking. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, yeah, one of my, 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 my nephew, he was like that. He ain't stopped speaking until he was sick. So I'm like, I ain't thinking it's something. I'm like, all right. She's like, no, something is wrong. So finally, we were able to get an assessment mm-hmm. and come and find out my son is autistic. Now, the, 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 uh, the people that we had got the assessment from, she, she said, had we been known about this when he was just a few months old, you know, we would have been able to get him the necessary help that, that he's going to need. From a few months old until he turned two. But being that he's about to be three, we can't help him, but we can refer you to somebody else. So they referred us to somebody else. So now my son, he's backed up with getting the help. It's one of the reasons why I, I want to do this because I know it's going to be parents out there just like me and my wife. You know, and I want to be able to provide information for them if it's an event that they feel like something is wrong and they'd be able to get their, their child some help from a few months on. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I never knew nothing about autism until my son, you know. And because of that, I want to I wanna, uh, do something concerning autism. Well, I definitely, um, I'm definitely supporting that because I autism runs in my family. I have a brother and I have two nephews and I also have two sons that have autism. And it was the same yeah. way with both of my children. They just basically said they had other, like, you know, behavioral issues. My oldest, we didn't know he was autistic until he started school because he really didn't show, you know, that he was autistic or had any problems. Like he, you know, he did everything he was supposed to do up until we started in kindergarten. And then that's when I noticed, like, he just could not concentrate. He couldn't comprehend, especially his reading. So um, I ended up having him tested at the teach center because I knew the schools wasn't going to do it. And that's when they said he was autistic. And my youngest one, I knew automatically, like, in six months, something wasn't right. Because he just, he was different. Like, he was just totally different. And so when I took him to, because I started him in pre, or Head Start first. And he wasn't talking either. Like, he wasn't talking at three. And so they would tell me that at the school, when they tested him before he started Head Start, they were like, oh, well, he looks at you, so he's not autistic. I said, ma'am, that's not true. I said, you know, different kids are on the spectrum at different levels, and so they do different things. Just because he's looking at me is not meaning that he's comprehending exactly what I'm saying to him. So they had that he had other behavioral health issues, and I took it upon myself to take him back to the same place that diagnosed my first son, which also diagnosed my brother. They were like, yeah, he's autistic. They did the test, and so they were... You know, they said he was autistic. So then I had to go back to the school and say, hey, you got to change his IEP plan because he is autistic. And so we, I actually experienced some discrimination in one county, Rockingham County, with my son by him being autistic. Like his IEP plan 
was totally jacked up. I think he was, you know, yeah. the teachers were putting their hands on him because he had behavioral issues and he liked to yell and throw things. And so it's really important that we protect our autistic kids. And I'm actually currently exactly. working on a program in North Carolina that to see how many autistic people we have in our prison because nobody with autism should be in a prison yeah. at all. It's really important that we protect them. So I go for yeah. it. Like, really do it and go for it and make up a plan because they need help. Like, they are really vulnerable and, and taking and, advantage. Exactly. And my heart goes out to people with autism. You know, and autism is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And you have a lot of people in jail that when I stop and, and actually talk to people and they, they, they end up saying, oh, yeah, I'm autism or I have a family member that's autism, but you would have never had known that about this individual. Mm -hmm. Why? Because everybody thinks that it's something bad, so they don't let it be known until you open up and tell them about it. Then they let you know, but you would never have thought about it. And one of the, one of the um, titles that I was thinking about, reuniting parents with autism children. You know, mm -hmm. um, like like for individuals that that's been incarcerated mm -hmm. and stuff like that. You know, so I, I got a few titles that I'm thinking about, but I haven't really figured out which route do I really want to go. But I know that I want it to based on autism. You know, well listen, it, it's, a, it's a lot. I, Sit down I, and write all your ideas down and flush them out. Yeah. I mean, because you got great ideas. Yeah. You and your and, wife just and sit down and flush cool. them out. Yeah. That, that's where I'm at in life right now. You know, I'm going to give up a lot of other things. I know that you can't straddle the fence and do two things. You can't do good and you can't do bad. Right. And I'm just at the point in my life now where, you know, that I just want to start doing right. You know, I want to start doing right by my family because they deserve this. I got a three-year-old daughter who I got locked up in August of last year. And to this day, she cries nonstop for me. And she's telling her mother she wants her daddy, she wants her daddy, she loves her daddy. Uh, she miss her daddy. And when she goes to school, she tells them the same thing. I miss my dad because she go to ADE, you know. Right. And my heart goes out to her because I'm like, damn, I broke a three-year-old heart, you know. Right. I, I, I guess I underestimated the love of a child, you know, because to this day, a three-year-old, she just turned three in July, and a three-year-old, used to cry and ask for uh, her parents and stuff like that, you know. And I have my autistic son. He's sick. He, he, he's nonverbal. He's a level three, you know. And I, I say to myself, man, I can imagine if my son could talk. If my son could talk, I, I wonder what he would say too, you know, because he knows that something is wrong. Daddy comes and goes. Daddy comes and goes. Like, for instance, when I do come back home and, like, let's say we go to Walmart or wherever, and, you know, I'd be like, nah, y'all go to the car and just have a Get this right quick. And he'll start screaming. He'll start screaming. And he'll pull me. He'll pull me. Meaning he don't want me to go. Right. You know? So I, I'd be like, damn. I'm like, man, if, if he could have talk, I wonder how he, 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 what he would say to me. You know? And my heart goes out to my children. And I just want to hurry up and get back to them. But what they did to me in court was that they got over on me. The lawyer tells me, yeah, the judge is only going to give you two years. You know, the most he could give you. So I'm like, all right, bet. I take the two years, that'll be run concurrent with the other time that I just took, you know, I'll be out at the end of this year. So right. when, when it was time for me to get sentenced, the judge gave me three years. I'm like, yo, what the hell? Like, and I didn't have no time credit in on that. So, you know, that means I got to do day for day, give me 36 months. So I'm like, yo, you told me that he said he was going to give me two years and things like that. He's like, oh, yo, I do it. I'm like, man, so now I'm 
gonna wait for my kids up until next year, and they sent it to me wrong at that. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it's supposed to be some things that that was said about this judge or whatever. You know, but um, at the end of the day, I got more time than I, than I, I should have got. You know, and I gotta be away from my 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 family, and it's hard. It's hard on my wife because it's three young ones. It's a nine year old, it's a six year old, and it's a three year old. You know. Um, my son, he's a level three autism, autistic child, you know, nonverbal, you know, uh, so you got to get him to his program. She got to get my daughter. My daughter is a level one autistic. She, she, she can function at a high level, you know, and, um, she got to do so much. She got to take care of all the bills, you know, she got to provide for them, give them a bath. She got cats and dogs. She got to do everything. Yeah. And it's it, hard. It's exhausting. It is. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I do it right. daily. <laughs> You know, it's it's yeah, it's hard so, when your spouse is not here yeah, and they have a, a unjust amount yeah. of time, and it's like you can't get nobody to help you get that time reduced yeah. when you were done wrong. It yeah, it it takes a toll exactly. on you every day, like every day. Trust yeah. me, I know how she feels. I go through it every day. I feel like I'm. Yeah. And my my heart goes out to her. You know, for me, I was being selfish. You know. I, Cause she, she used to always say, I, I got a lot of, I had five DWIs. And by the, the crazy thing about it is that I was never driving. I'm always parked somewhere or I'm not even in the car and my keys is not in the ignition. And the police have to come around and they hit me with DWI. Me, I'm pleading guilty to this. Why? Because I already got, I, I lost trial twice already. I can't afford to keep going back to jail to, to um, taking things to trial and get the max. No. Right. So I'm like, all right, forget it. I'll just cop out. And that's, that's how I am right now. And me being selfish, put, putting the drinks before my family, you know, I feel really bad. I just need, like, a break because I would really do things differently this trip around, you know. And I, like I said, I just want to do good, right. you know. And right. um, some help, I know that I'll, I'll be. You and know, you will be. This is one thing that I really want to do. Huh? I said, and you will be all right. Yeah, and I want to actually do this. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host, Sierra Cobb. Take care.